creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQALFM on the campus of Winona State University. Nerds and geeks, welcome to the 30th Nerd Night event, part three of three series, held at Ed's No Name Bar. Nerd Night is a monthly event held by two WSU professors, Dr. Carl Furkenhoff and Dr. Emily Ruff, where three candidates get 30 minutes to nerd out and speak about their passions. So if you have a topic that you're passionate about or knowledgeable enough to be called a nerd, this event is the place to be. I'm Dylan Alzate, and crack open your textbooks as we nerd it out at the No Name Bar today on Culture Click. All right, all right, all right. We're going to get back together with our last speaker, but first I just have a few announcements. First, I want to plug our next Nerd Night, which is going to be October 25th. Uh, we're going to have talks about bacteriophages and mathematics from Joyati. And uh, Kayla Olson is also going to be talking. She's a librarian at Winona State. We're really excited. We hope you'll join us uh, the 25th of October. One more thing that I'll say. I have just a couple more of these. Uh, we always need speakers. We are always happy to have more volunteers uh, to speak. If you want to give a talk, if you have an idea for a talk, uh, you can use this QR code to sign up uh, using, our, uh, using our survey. Uh, or you can talk to me, or you can talk to Mark, or you can talk to Carl if you know Carl. But seriously, if you've picked up a new hobby, a lot of us picked up a lot of new hobbies during the pandemic, we would be really, really happy to talk, hear you talk about it. Uh, if you want to hear more about Nerd Nights and Nerd Night News, please follow us on Facebook. This is the best place to, uh, to find us on the web. This is what we use as a website. Um, I also want to plug this, uh, this first Nerd Night book called How to Win Friends and Influence Fungi. Uh, it has a whole bunch of essays about uh, some of the, the, you know, we talked about how Nerd Night is at, uh, in cities all around the world, right? We have had lots and lots and lots of Nerd Night speakers all over the world. And some of the best ones have been picked out uh, to contribute to this book. And so if you want to learn some really wild stuff, really recommend it. Uh, one of our Nerd Night Winona speakers, actually, Liz Russell, who is a professor of psychology at Winona State, uh, actually uh, got to contribute to this book from her talk about video games and the psychology of video games. So uh, that's going to be on sale in February uh, of 2024, and you can pre-order it. Uh, and with that, I want to introduce our speaker, uh, Matt Wagner, and I am actually going to read this because I, I uh, botched the first speaker intro. So Matt Wagner is an art teacher at the Winona Area Learning Center, which is part of Winona Area Public Schools, where he has taught for the past six years. Matt is also a board member of the Winona Arts Center uh, and CMAC Emerging Artist Grant recipient. Yeah, we could have a round of applause for the Winona Arts Center. We're really glad to have everybody here. Uh, and he got a CMAC grant for his, an, uh, as an emerging artist uh, for his Animals of the Driftless exhibit. All right, so please give it up for Matt Wagner. Okay. I feel like uh, Britney Spears with this microphone. It's great. It's great. I will not dance or twerk or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for being here. Thanks for sticking to the end. Uh, my name is Matt Wagner, and like uh, the introduction, I am an art teacher in town and a board member with the Winona Arts Center. Tonight, 
I'm going to be talking about types of printmaking. So a little bit about me. Uh, I'm from the area, graduated from Winona State. Uh, I've taught for about 10 years. And there's some other stuff that you talked about there. I love uh, mountain biking. I love living here. Winona's awesome. And I like pinball, too. So you can talk to me about that later. Uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons I find printmaking to be so fascinating is because it is small, detail-oriented work. Uh, you can put a lot of time into it, and you can really have a high reward from your work. I did a lot of art when I was a kid, and it was always hard for me to spend hours and hours on a drawing and give it to somebody. That was kind of hard to do for me, and other, other artists might feel that way. <clears throat> what I like about printmaking is you can spend hours and hours and hours on your block or your carving, and you can make 20 of them, or you can make 100 of them, and you can give them to all your friends and you don't feel bad about it. So that's one of the reasons why I think printmaking is such a great, great way to make artwork. You can also do it at home, which is why I gave this talk. A lot of people don't know how easy it is to do at your house, and I hope that some of the info you find today inspires you to maybe take that up. And it's also a very traditional and historical form of art. There's a lot of history with it. Um, it's just a surface-to-surface -surface contact that creates some type of image and some type of picture, and there's a lot of value in that that I think is important for today. The terminology and what I'm going to cover is there's kind of four basic types of printmaking. And I kind of come at this, I approach this with someone who might walk up to something and just say, hey, that's a print. And you might not know how it was made or what the process was or what the materials were. And really, that's the main goal that I'm going to cover for today. So there's four major types of printing. And this picture here gives kind of a... Um, you know, angled view, but the top also is supposed to give kind of a, a two-dimensional view about how these surfaces transfer and how these pictures are made. So there's planography, which people might, if you've ever heard the word lithography before, lithography falls under the planography, which is a print that's drawn on the surface. Relief printing is what is left of the original surface. So we, you'll often hear people talk about valleys. Okay, When you're doing relief printing, you're carving into a surface, and the ink sits on the top of the area that you have left uncarved. Intaglio is a very interesting form of printmaking, which is the ink sits below the surface. And I have some examples that I kind of have up here, and I'll talk about some of those. But when you do intaglio, the carving actually goes below the surface level, and the ink sits inside and under the flat surface of the print. And the final one, which is stencil, this is what you'd know is like screen printing. So here's some of those pictures again that's a little bigger. Relief, intaglio, uh, planar, which is planography. So planography. Uh, I'm not going to play this YouTube video, but if anyone wants this slideshow, it's only $5. I will email it to you. Okay, I'll give you my Venmo. We'll be good to go. But no, if anyone actually wants a slideshow, let me know, and I will send it to you. Uh, no questions asked. But planography is the printing and non-printing areas 
that are on the same level, and it's a flat surface. So it's a really lithography. I'm not even going to try to get into <laughs> how that's done, but essentially it uses the concept of oil and water resist each other, and the artist draws an area, and they ink up that area that is resisted by oil and water, and somehow make a picture of that. It uses stone. There's a lot of different materials that you can use for lithography. It uses a lot of chemicals. It is very uh, complicated, and I'm not going to pretend that I know more about it than that. That's pretty much it. Um, one other thing, though, that I will add, because the surface area of a print in your printing area is flat, something that falls under that category is something called monoprints. Okay, and monoprints means one, mono. So when you have a monoprint, this is a good example of that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the, the things that the Art Center offers. But these are all examples of monoprints. So these are all prints that exist as only themselves. There's one of one. And what's cool about that is just that they're unique. There's not anything else like it. If you tried to reproduce it, it would come kind of close, but it might not be exactly identical. And in printmaking, they're really obsessed about being really identical. So this would be considered a monoprint because it's a sing singularity, and it exists just of its own thing. The next form of printmaking is intaglio. And there's a few different processes of this. A very traditional, or kind of one people would know as, is a copper plate. Okay, so I have a copper plate right here. And essentially what you do if you want to be an artist and also feel like a mad scientist, uh, you should get into the intaglio because you get to literally have a bath of acid that you get to take this and dip it into. So here's how this works. You have a copper plate. And for the record, this is like money, uh, dollar bills, all those intricate lines that you see on the $20 bill. This is usually done with types of copper plates that they do. So what they do is they'll cover this surface with uh, soft ground. And this is like a waxy material that's on it right now. So this is resistant to acid. What the person that then does is take like a needle scratch tool and scratch away at the area that they want to have ink sit inside. From there, you literally dunk this in a bath of acid and the acid eats away at all the area that is exposed. So you've exposed it because you drew into it. So this is one that's kind of in the process. I started this like 12 years ago and never finished it, and I dug it out of some storage for tonight. Uh, so this is one in process. Maybe I'll finish it one day. I don't know. Uh, what's cool, though, is when you dunk this into the acid, it's a, just a great term. It's, it's called the acid does a bite. It bites into the copper, and it eats away at the copper. And when it does that, it creates a space for the ink to sit. And what's cool about that, this is a good example. This is just a picture I found online. But what happens is when you ink up a copper plate, you cover the plate in ink, and you actually just smear it and work it all the way into the plate until you can't wipe away anymore. Because physically, the ink is now sitting below the surface level that you cannot get to anymore. So when you do that, and you run it through a press, and you do need a press, you cannot print this at your house. When you run it through a press, that huge amount of pressure, you can see these lines here. So if you ever approach a print, and you're looking at it, a good kind of clue to tell you what kind of print is this, 
is to take a look at the edges. Okay, the edges will reveal a lot because what happens is when this, when this gets run through the press, there's so much pressure on it that it will actually create a ridge on the paper. And it will kind of tell you the kind of the outline of that and let you know that, yep, this was an etching or this was an intaglio print. Another way to do this, if you don't want to have a, a vat of acid at your house, uh, is to plexiglass. You can take a piece of plexiglass and take just a really sharp needle. And this is what's known as dry point etching. So you don't need a, a vat of acid. You can take a really sharp kind of point and you can carve away into that plexiglass and you're creating an opening in the plexiglass and you can take that ink and rub it into the plexiglass and you can print that way. So that, if anyone is like, oh, this, this kind of mad scientist stuff kind of intrigues me, I like that. Uh, plexiglass is a great way to kind of get into intaglio work because it's a lot more accessible and it's super cheap. Uh, the next one is stencil, which is just screen printing. I'm not going to talk a lot about this. Um, essentially, screen printing, uh, it creates a screen and you use some chemicals to create a blockade. And what happens is the ink, you take uh, the squeegee and the ink gets pushed over the screen and the area that you leave open, the ink flows through it. And the other area that you block out, the ink does not flow through it. So. People will recognize like graphic t-shirts are a really common way that you'll see screen printing. Um, screen printing can be done in multiple colors that stack over each other. So if you've ever been to a concert and it's like a hundred of these posters just for this tour screen printed, uh, that's usually what that is. And then the last form of printmaking, which is one of my favorites, and I have some examples of uh, tools for that, is called relief printmaking. And relief printmaking is where you, the artist, carve into the surface and you create a valley and you create a negative space so the ink does not go into that spot. There's a ton of tools for this uh, type of printmaking and I'm not going to go into all of them. But a few examples I have is just like a gouge. Okay, a gouge just is literally a really sharp blade that digs into the material. It carves it out. There's lots of different blades and lots of different sizes. So you can create a lot of different line variety. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, there's something called a bench hook. So we'll, I'll talk a little bit about doing this stuff at home. But a bench hook is a great tool because what you do is you take it and it just locks into your kitchen table. And it creates a really nice area for you to carve into. And it takes all the pressure away. Anytime I do relief printing in my classroom, that's when the band-aids come out because that is when the most cuts happen because it's students carving and they're and they're going towards themselves cut away from yourself put your hand under the very sharp blade uh, but this tool is really awesome because you can use it to carve and you can see that this is not even clean you can also ink up this area and you can do a lot of your inking here so you can do your printing at home uh, and there's a few other things that I'll kind of talk about too uh, one thing that's super cool, my brother is a graphic designer, and he attended UW-Stout. And something that UW-Stout does uh, that's super cool is they do some relief printing with a steamroller. So they do these giant, once a year they rent a steamroller, or they own one, I don't know. And they ink up a huge plate in a huge area, 
and then they literally drive a steamroller on top of it and print. And it's super cool because this is the exact same concept as uh, a printmaking press, but you just can just drive it around, which sounds pretty fun. So uh, if you're interested in doing some relief carving, um, I'm not going to necessarily make an Amazon plug, but uh, Amazon has, or Dick Blick or wherever else you want to buy your art supplies, has a really awesome like beginner's relief kit. And it just comes with all this stuff. And this is pretty much all you need to do relief carving uh, at your home. So I always encourage people, if you're thinking about doing some relief carving, one of the biggest things you have to think about is people get really excited about it and they got, their, they got some ideas. They're like, how do I do this? This doesn't make sense. When you think about starting a relief print, you want to ask yourself some of the following questions. Do you want a border? What are the highlights of your image? So I have the squint trick up there. When you're looking at a picture, looking at a design, if you just kind of squint your eyes, that'll kind of give you the, the areas that are most important and the areas that you want to carve out that anything you carve is going to be white because you've removed that surface area. So that is kind of giving you the, the priority of what is most important thinking of the highlights. And then one of the biggest things too is do you want your back, background black? Obviously it can be also colored. Um, there's a lot of printmakers too who do something called a reduction print. where They carve, they print a color, then they make 10 of those. They carve away more, do a new color on top, and they print exactly where they did before. So it's called the registration. The registration where you printed prior has to be exactly the same and has to line up. That's really hard to do. It can be done, but um, that's kind of another, another process that I won't get into. So some considerations too with printing, and this is just kind of a terminology thing. Next time we're at an art museum or something or some coffee shop and you're with your friend and you see this stuff in the print, you can say, look at all the noise in that print. <laughs> My goodness, what was that artist thinking? Or that's exceptional noise. Uh, you can look really cool, or they can be like, what are you talking about? You're insane. Uh, but anytime that a carving leaves behind traces of an area that might supposed to be, or is supposed to be blank, that's called noise. Some artists do that intentionally. Some artists try to get rid of it, uh, inking up a block, which is what we call that. Sometimes people will ink it up and they'll put a piece of paper on top to kind of cover it up before they put the paper down on the block. Anytime I talk with students about <clears throat> doing some relief printing, I really try to use the idea of railroad tracks. So anytime you're inking up a plate, and this is an example, so here's a block that I have. This is called Speedball Easy Cut. It's like literally just a big thing like a pink eraser essentially. What I like about it, there's a lot of different materials. You can use wood, you can use masonite. Uh, this stuff is super nice because it doesn't have a grain and it cuts like butter. It's very nice, but you don't always get as much detail. When you're doing a relief print, this is one that I just finished up. Um, you obviously have to be backwards. So here's the final product. So I tell my students you can do uh, mom or wow, but you can't do anything else. It's really complicated, so don't even try. Um, so you can see some of these areas 
sometimes I would pick up a little bit uh, when I'm inking up this block. And I added the border here because I try to use the, the idea of railroad tracks. When you're inking up a block, you got to think about where this is called the brayer. This is what you have ink on. The ink has to go across, and you always want support on both sides of the brayer. If you don't do that, you're going to roll into areas that you don't want to get inked up. And it's fine if you do that, but it just can be kind of a headache if you're trying to create certain areas that you want to leave blank. The last thing I'm going to talk about is an addition. So you're all done with your print. You're really happy with it. Now you have to do that weird thing at the bottom that you don't really know what's going on. So an addition is simply just a collection, and it tells the viewer how many prints of this exist in the world. Down at the bottom here, you're going to have a number, and it'll say 1 over 10. Okay, that's going to be print number 1. 10 of these exist in the world, and that's how many there are. I've heard this, since people can correct me, but I've heard from a historical standpoint, when you're done with the block, a long time ago when you were done, you would literally carve an X through your block to destroy it, to say, this is truly done, this can never be made again. Now, there's a, that's a little extreme. I don't, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that. But you can change, for example, if I did select this one on one, I said there's 20 of them that exist. If I were to go back and carve it and change things a little bit, I could, in theory, create a, another edition because they're different. I could create another edition because it's a different color. There's a few ways you can kind of get out of it if you're trying to do that, but it does create that uh, scarcity that you might want to do just to let people know how many exist. Title right there, and then your signature. So here's an example of that. Uh, and I kind of talked about this. People asked me this too when I had my animals exhibit. People would be like, I want to get print number one. That's the best one. I'm like, well, it's not, it's not supposed to be the best one. I think America, we're just like, number one, we got to be the best. Okay, print number one out of 20 is not better or worse than 19 out of 20. In theory, if the artist is doing a good job, they should be identical. And there's something that's also known as an AP. If you ever see AP, that's known as an artist proof. This version is deemed acceptable as an addition. Usually the artist does the AP first, and it's typically the property of the artist. And that's kind of like the gold standard. All editions should look like this. If an AP is ever sold, it's typically because the artist passed away or they gave it away, and it's a pretty valuable thing. And I talked about that. Can an edition change? If it's altered, color variations can do that. So the last slide I have here uh, is now that you know all about printmaking, you're so smart, this is great. Uh, there are a ton of opportunities in Winona to see prints and to make your own prints. And one of the biggest ones is at the Winona Art Center. There's an open studio every Thursday night from 4.30 to 8 p.m. Yeah, check it out. Uh, the first night you go, it's free, and there's a small fee as you continue to go. It gives you access to tons of tools, tons of paper, tons of ink, and it gives you tools to, or access to the Riverbed Press, which is probably the only um, press 
in the in like 50 to 100 miles. It's it's really cool that we have that. Um, there's also a member show going on, and there's I I have that Winona relief print, but there's a few other relief prints in there, so it's really worth checking out. That show is on Wednesdays from three to six, and Sundays from one to four. If you want to go check it out, and then in October 26, which is a Thursday. Uh, there's going to be a wine and cheese open house for the studio. So put that in your iCal from 5 to 8. Uh, but if you're interested in printing at home, you can use a plexi, you can use plexiglass, a bench hook. If you want to talk to me after this about how to figure out how to do this, you really want to, let me know. I would love to give you like a plan or some ideas or tools or you can borrow my brayer if you want to. That's fine. Um, and the last thing, uh, Dan Grimslid, he has some lithography at the Blue Heron Coffee House, Winona Treasure. Go check it out. Uh, he's got some really cool lithographs from 1979 onward, and there are a lot of um, children's prints that they got to draw on the stone and make prints from that. And this is a trout from my animal show. So... There you go. All right. Thank yeah, let's you. give Matt Thank a round you. of applause. All right. We've got a couple minutes for some questions. What questions do we have for Matt? Can I see one in the back? Uh, we got one back here. Matt, how do you do multiple colors on a relief print? That is a good question. You're not going to like my answer. Uh, well, multiple colors like layers or multiple colors at once? Layers. 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 Okay, then you're not going to like my answer. Uh, my answer is I don't. I don't. Uh, I have not done a lot of reduction prints, mostly because it's too time-consuming. But I would highly suggest that people check out, someone can help me with his name, Nick, like, Warbleski, Nick? Yes, Warbleski had some shows at the Marine Art Museum. Look him up on Instagram. He is amazing. It's like his full-time job. And he, Woodcut Nick, on Instagram. Thank you. Go to Woodcut Nick. Look him up because he's very transparent in his process. And he shows you a timeline of how he does. And he does like 15 colors on, he's like, oh, I worked on this for three months. And then it's this 15-layer print. It makes me mad, actually, how, how good they are. And I should just, like, unfollow him because I just can't handle I'm just jealous. So check out Woodcut Nick. That will be a better, better person for you. Well, I just wanted to say that Matt referred briefly to, he did a wonderful collection of Critters of the Driftless, and you should talk a little bit more about that. But they're absolutely great, and it's terrific that he's here as a young artist who has accomplished himself very nicely in showing us what he's done. But if you haven't seen his work, you should see it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Do you right. want to talk a little bit about your Creatures of the Driftless? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Animals of the Driftless. So if anyone is interested in making their own artwork, I would highly recommend checking out CMAC, uh, S-E-M. AC, Southeast Minnesota Arts Council. I got a grant for that. That allowed me to uh, do the show that I did. I did 12 different animals of uh, local animals that I'm turning into a book. And it's uh, right now there's some shutterfly prototypes out and I'm figuring out how to make it so my 
one-year-old doesn't destroy it. So just stay tuned for that. Um, but I highly recommend if you're interested, uh, just be really specific in your grant, and that's a good way to, to get started, too. Yeah, so I had a question. Uh, it occurs to me that you probably could make uh, these, these uh, plates by 3D printing, and I'm wondering if anyone has ever experimented with that that you know of. That's a good question. Um, I think it would have to do, so I, I'll give a little inf some more info about that. So, for example, the amount of pressure that you put, so all of my prints, like this trout one and, one, and the Winona one, I did those by hand. So this is a squishy material, it's like rubbery, and I use this thing, it's really cool, it's called uh, Iron Frog, they're from Texas. This is called a Baron. Now people can use a wooden spoon at home, but I was doing so much of these that I, I got this, it's like some recycled glass. And you ink up this, you put it on the paper on top, and then you just go crazy, and that's how you transfer the image. Now, to get back to your question, I'm not sure the amount of pressure that the plastic could handle for 3D printing, but if it could take a lot, then I think it definitely is possible. Yeah. If you make it, I'll try to print it. It's kind of getting into the, the AI art world, probably. That, that, I'm not going to go there. Don't even... Don't ask me. Well, sure. I was going to ask, like, what is the most amount of one print that you've ever made? Or, like, how do you decide how many you're going to print? That's a good question. Um, I try to <laughs> almost base it, like, how much do I like this? Do I want to make a lot of these or not? Um, I did a loon print when I that was at the Blue Heron. I had that up there last uh, spring or something. And I did an addition of, like, 20 that just because I, I liked it a lot a lot of the animal ones that I did I did out of 10 but you definitely there's no rule that says I mean you could say a hundred and not print them I mean and then as people want them or as the demand for them it's not I mean that might be somewhat unethical someone else can <laughs> you know I'm just thinking from like how much you know time do I have to make a hundred of these it, anything more than 10, if you're going to be really pure and say these have to be identical, because out of my 10, so I did 12 animals, 10 editions of each, 120 prints, they're all, they're all done, but I probably threw away 30 to 50 of them because they were not up to snuff and they were not what I would deem to be part of the edition. So they were just trashed. So uh, when are you going to bring the steamrollers here to Winona? <laughs> I, would I love mean, you to don't do have that. to bring them. We got them. We, we, got, we got you. Got them? I don't. Ha I don't have them. But okay. Well, we're going to find them. Let's go. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah, that would be that. cool. My students would go nuts for that. I'm not sure you're joking, but when you said you trashed 30 out of 120, what? makes you decide the trash one is it not getting the ink on evenly or when you're pulling the paper off or what yeah cause it imperfection in your mind yep um and do you save them do you save those 30 for a future that they're defects yeah they yeah i have kept a few of them and i i have read that you can do t t over p which is a test print and you can use that as kind of a seconds um my i think it's up to each artist what happens is once you ink up a plate, usually or a block, 
the first one is usually not very good because the block, it's like, I don't know. You know when you're at the, you at the bar and they spray the glass with water? It's like gets the glass like ready to go and it primes the sides. That's kind of how a block is. It needs that first layer of ink to like get it going. That's, that's a weird analogy, but I, in my mind it works. Um, the first print after you ink up a block usually turns out bad. And it, what happens is the ink kind of builds up layers and gets more depth and more, uh, you know, jet black or whatever color you're using. This one was hard because on a lot of these, like this moon area, didn't come out totally pitch black. So I would look, I would arrange them all out on a table and look and say, okay, this one is just like, there's a little too much ink that did not transfer well. And it honestly has to do with the temperature of the room, the humidity level, probably the phase of the moon. I don't know what's going on, but sometimes it just, it just is a lot of factors that I can't explain all of them, but you just look at it and make your decision. So it comes down to personal preference. When it's done by hand, there is some wiggle room that it does not have to be perfect, but you want it to look as identical as possible. All right, I think we have time for one more question. Where do you sell your prints? Uh, I don't sell them anywhere. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm figuring out what to do with some of them. Uh, I, in the past, I've just like done an Instagram post like, hey, who wants some of these prints? And they just, I'll give them out. When I've done shows before, I've, I've had them available there. Um, so, yeah, if we can talk. <laughs> All right, with that, let's have a round of applause for Matt and all of our speakers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very much for coming out. We will be back with more nerdiness on October 25th. All right, have a good night. A huge thanks goes out to Ed's No Name Bar and the Nerd Bosses for making this whole event possible. To check out Nerd Night Winona and even sign up as a speaker yourself, visit their Facebook page at Nerd Night Winona or keep updated at visitwinona.com. I'm Del Alzate, and for more nerdtastic or local Winona events, tune in to Culture Click every Thursday at 12.30 here on 89.5 KQAL. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. <laughs>